Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, my name is Pastor Barrett Bowden. I'm lead pastor here at Island Community Church. It is a joy for me to be able to continue worship this morning as we teach God's Word. So if you've got a Bible, and I hope you do, or if not, you can look onto our screens. But this morning, we're going to be in the book of Romans chapter 14 and into chapter 15 this morning as we continue our series called What He's Done. Romans, of course, being a book about Jesus. And I pray this morning more than anything else that you know Jesus. He is wonderful in every way. He is God and he loves you. He came and he did a work that you so desperately needed. He came in his love for you and he came to live for you that you might have righteousness, not of your own because we don't have it. All of us are not righteous. We've all turned our own way. We've all rebelled against God. We've all experienced brokenness of heart and life because of our own rejection of God. We don't have righteousness before God, but we so desperately need it. But Jesus loves you so much. He came to live that you might have his righteousness, that you might be blessed because of his blessing. And he came to die, not because he deserved to die, because he had no sin. In fact, he did not deserve to die. He came to die to take your place because he loves you just that much. He took your place on a cross and he took the judgment of God, the condemnation of God, the wrath of God that you deserve for your sin. He took it upon himself and in his love for you, he gave his own life so that you who deserve condemnation could have the opportunity to have forgiveness. That you might have the opportunity to be wiped clean of all of your guilt and all of your shame and all of your sin and all of your unrighteousness that you might be completely forgiven and free. He put your sin to death in his body on the cross and it put him in the grave. But after three days, he rose from the dead and Jesus lives today and he triumphs. He is the triumphant savior. He has victory over sin and Satan and death itself. He lives today and in his love for you, he can give you new life now and forever, true life with God, life that will never end. And you can know that you know that you know that he truly is savior, he truly is God, and that all the things that he promised are yes and amen, they will all one day prove true. He is wonderful in every way. And Paul writes this book to the the Christians of Rome, wanting them to know how wonderful Jesus is, and wanting them to live with passion and with purpose to know him and to make him known. And so right now, as we're nearing the end of our study of the book of Romans, We're talking about what it looks like to live in overflow, knowing the mercy and the love and the grace that God has for us. What does it look like for us to really live surrendered lives toward him? And we're in a study of the marks of a transformed life. So if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to be continuing our uh, study of the, the last chapters of the book of Romans by looking at the marks of those whose lives have been transformed by Jesus. And today we're going to look at Mark 7, 8, 9, and 10 from Romans chapter 14, verse 1 through chapter 15, verse 13. And the theme of these marks, what I've been trying to do as I've been nearing the end of the study is kind of to categorize these marks for us because there are some themes that Paul is hitting as he speaks to the Christians in Rome and as he speaks to us He's hitting some important themes, themes of these marks of our life. And today's theme is gospel unity. So as we look at this passage, we're going to be looking at this theme of gospel unity. And again, all of this comes out of the overflow of those first two verses of Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In light of the mercy of God toward you, offer yourself wholly to God. No longer try to fit your life according to the ways of the world, but rather Yield yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit of God in your life and let God change you from the inside out. Let the marks of your life be marks of greater nearness and likeness of him. 
So today we continue our study by looking at these marks. Um, we've covered so far, uh, just as a matter of refresher, I'm not going to reteach these because I've spent the last four or five weeks doing this. Uh, the first six marks we've already covered, full surrender, humble service, sincere love, last week overcoming goodness, submission to authority, and noticeable Christ-likeness. But today, we continue forward, and like I said, we'll be covering several new marks, um, and our main point this morning is this, and then we'll read the passage, and we'll begin to study it together. But our new marks this morning all direct us toward this place. Because of the mercy of God, all that he has so mercifully done for us, then we need to also then embrace, not just embrace, but really pursue opportunity to really live out in our relationships with other Christians in particular, to live out gospel unity. A gospel unity that reflects God's gracious welcome of us. So for those who are listening online, I'll say it more plainly because I just explained it as I explained it. I mean, as I read it. Because of all that God has so mercifully done for us, we embrace opportunity to pursue gospel unity with other Christians that reflects God's gracious welcome of us. This morning we'll look at four marks. Please do not write them all down because you will have time as we go through them each. We will be looking at extending grace. We'll be looking at making peace. We'll be looking at building up others. And we'll be looking at joyful hope. But before we do these, I wanna pray and then we'll read the scripture and dive in. Father, thank you so much for your love and grace toward us and Jesus. Today, I feel my brokenness and neediness before you. We all do. And we know, Lord, that all that we have is because of all you have so graciously given to us. Thank you for covering us, for forgiving us. Thank you for welcoming us. Thank you, Lord, for putting your Holy Spirit in us. Thank you for making us new. Thank you, Lord, for adopting us into your family and seating us at your table. Thank you for supplying all of our needs. Our cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life and we will be with you forever. And Lord, we know this is not of us, but it's to your name be the glory. It is all you. We thank you for who you are and what you have done for us in Jesus. We are grateful and humble before you today. And I pray, God, that you would stir our heart with fresh affection and love for you, Jesus. Help us to feel the ways in which you have loved us and to help us, Lord, to want to love one another as you have loved us. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit today. These are your words, not mine. And I pray, Father, that you would just touch our hearts, transform us into your likeness. Make us more like you, Jesus. We want you. We want to know you, and we want to, to make you known. So, Father, I pray for something that I can't do this morning. Would you work by your power in Jesus' name? Amen. The text this morning, Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 1, and I read from the ESV. We'll be reading through verse 13 of chapter 15. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one 
who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one on another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know And I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This morning we talked together about gospel unity from this passage of scripture, this wonderful passage of scripture from Romans 14, 1 to 15, 13. 
Um, if you're taking notes this morning, I hope you've already written down the main point, but we're going to start today with Mark number seven. Let your life be marked by extending grace. One of the things that God wants for you in your life, if you know the mercy of God and the grace of Jesus Christ, is he wants for your life to be marked by you being the kind of person that extends lavish grace on other people. The subpoint on this one I put withholding judgment on non-essentials. In other words, you should not be known as a judgy person, especially on things that aren't central issues. You should not be known as a, the kind of person that's always got their arms crossed and looking down the rim of their glasses at other people, so to speak. Always have a word of discouragement or a word of criticism or a word of judgment. Always looking for the worst and not for the best. One of the things that should mark your life as a follower of Jesus, one who is a recipient of the welcoming grace of Jesus, is for you to be one who receives other people on the basis of the way that he has received you. Grace, grace, grace. All right? So we're going to be looking at this, Mark, extending grace. And I want to start by looking at verse 1, because I understand the section... Uh, you, you've got to understand kind of the context of what's happening here in Rome. This particular chapter of scripture, there's obviously some problems that are happening inside the church of Rome and Paul's writing to them to try to help them sort this stuff out. You ever had another, a problem with another Christian? Anybody? You ever had a problem with anybody else sitting in this room or in the church? Okay, don't raise your hand on that one, All right? You ever find it difficult at times to relate even to those who also identify by the love and grace of Jesus or get frustrated over another Christian's behavior. Um, it happens, right? Because of sin in all of us, um, even within the church, you know, we're still a work in progress and relationships will end up in a place where there's messiness, there's brokenness. And this was happening in the church of Rome and Paul's going right at their problems by here in verse one, saying, as for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So this word here, opinions, basically what Paul is saying is there are some lesser, uh, uh, let's call them disagreements, all right, that are happening inside of the church. This word in Greek is basically like, there are some disputable matters that are happening, okay? There's some things that are bubbling up, and what's happening is people are fighting over this stuff. They're quarreling over this stuff to the point that what is at stake is this very, very important gospel issue of being able to welcome one another. And Paul's going, yo, Church, like, I need to talk to you for a second. We've got to keep the main things the main things and secondary things secondary things because if we allow secondary things to become the main things, it could actually fracture us and the very gospel unity that is meant to be the display of the unity of Christ with us on the basis of grace. So Paul's going right at this issue by talking to us and saying, look, there's a problem in the church, and still to this day there are these problems, are there not? Where there are disagreements over little stuff. Now, Paul uses this word, and one of the things that's gonna be important as we go through this chapter, as we study it, is to recognize the difference of matters of basic principle and matters of individual preference, okay? There is a difference. And this word here in verse one is the second one. It's matters of individual preference. Some might, some might call this matters of conscience, okay? There's a difference. There are some things for all of us as Christians that should be and are black and white things because they come clearly and explicitly as commands of God in his word. But there are other things that are not so black and white. And on these things, 
it's left to us as we trust and follow Jesus to discern what God's will might be in this area where there's not such explicit commands and to act according to our conscience by faith as we choose to trust and follow Jesus. So when we think about matters of conscience, here's a way you could define it. It's a, it's a practice which God has not specifically spoken about in his word. So what we're saying is in God's word, he has not clearly forbidden it and he's not clearly commanded it. And so therefore, it's left for the Christian to act in faith to decide in their own conscience what God wants them to do. Everybody got it? Now, in Paul's day, he tells you what's going on here, all right? One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person only eats vegetables. Now, this is not picking on vegetarians in the room today, all right? He's not saying that you're weak if you're a vegetarian. He's trying to point out in their day, in this cultural day, what's going on is some people in the church, now you gotta remember, they're bringing Gentiles and Jewish people together, people of very different ethnic backgrounds, very different religious backgrounds, some totally irreligious, some very strict religious people, and they're all joining together now in faith in Christ into this new family. So a lot of these issues are arising out of just how different they've all been, and now they're trying to work this out in a new day. Some people are eating meat, and they're great with that. They're like, give me the T-bone, baby. I'm going to Texas Day, all right? Sign me up. And other people are like, yo, like, I can't believe you're eating red meat. Like, that is awful to the eyes of God. Uh, perhaps they're thinking, uh, we know later in, in chapter 14, in verse 14, if you look at your Bibles, he mentions another thing uh, about this food. I know I'm persuading the Lord Jesus, nothing is unclean. You see this language here? Being unclean in itself, but unclean for anybody who thinks it's unclean. This is all reference to Leviticus chapter 11, all right, where in the Old Testament, you got some Jewish Christians who were very strict in keeping these laws and these commandments about what is acceptable to eat, what is not acceptable to eat. And so there's this dispute arising about what kind of foods are we supposed to eat now that we're in Christ Jesus? And people are actually getting worked up over this stuff. Also, uh, if you look at verse 21, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you see these issues that are in the church here in Rome, because then we got to understand our own issues. Verse 21, he talks again about eating, but then he also talks about drinking wine. So in other words, here in the church of Rome, people are going, man, like I, it's not a problem to me to have a glass of wine at dinner. And then other people are going, did you see him pour that bottle of wine? I can't believe it. He claims to be a follower of Jesus and he's drinking wine. And there's disputes that are emerging between the Christians and within the church over these kind of things. It's not just that. He mentions another place in chapter 14 about days. This is echoed of Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, where we know within the church, he says, therefore, don't let anybody judge what you eat or drink or regard a religious festival, new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. In other words, in the church in that time, there was also questions of, are we supposed to celebrate things like these ongoing Jewish holidays? Um, are we supposed to continue the feast now that we're in Christ? Is that still relevant or not? And people are getting upset over those who attended and those who didn't. So all these kind of things were happening in the church of Rome. Now, you might go, uh, okay, that's great. Thanks for explaining this. I don't really understand. We, you know, we're not sitting around arguing about vegetarian or meat today. Like, I don't really get it. But Here's the thing, there are a lot of things happening inside the church today, here at ICC, other churches around our country and around the world, 2023. There are a lot of things like this that are happening. I made a, a quick list uh, just to talk about a few, just to try to help us see how relevant this conversation really is. Things about dietary choices, sure. Some people may continue to talk about that. Think about uh, even Sabbath observances. Some people have difference of opinion as to how to observe the Sabbath or how strictly, not just day of the week, but how strictly we are to observe the Sabbath now that we are in Christ. Can you work as a Christian? What should you tell your employer if they demand that you work on a Sunday? That kind of thing. Uh, entertainment choices. You know, should you let your kid read Harry Potter? 
You know, what kind, of, what kind of Netflix shows is it appropriate? You know, it's just a mild sex scene. You know, it's just you can't watch any show nowadays without sex scenes. Other Christians would go, that is completely wrong for you as a Christian to watch anything that would have that kind of thing in it. Um, music that you listen to, movies, music, you know, TV, dress and modesty. That's another one. I just got back recently from India. There's a lot of conversation over there about how women should dress within the church how modest you should be so that the distraction is not there, so that all people can worship equally, that women should cover their heads when they pray. I mean, these are kind of conversations happening 2023 today. How should you dress? Should you wear your shoes inside of a church or not? That's a conversation there in India. Political involvement. How should Christians be engaged? Should we be engaged at all? Should we vote? Should we not vote? Should we be party people or not party people? What issues should be the litmus test kind of issues or there should be no issues like that? Um, alcohol consumption, and you could say this about a whole different range of personal conviction issues like homeschooling or I think I listed that up there as well, or public schooling. Uh, should you drink? Should you not drink? You know, you go to Germany, they can't imagine a Christian not having the freedom to go into a bar and have a beer, even talking over the scripture. And you go to some places here in the southern part of the United States or places like West Africa or India where I just got back from, and they think, if you touch alcohol as a Christian, you're showing yourself to be a non-Christian. And so there's lots of difference around these kind of issues. Um, environmental stewardship. There's questions there about our role and responsibility as it relates to caring for the earth and being sustainable. Some of y'all would go, if you don't recycle, how, can you, how could you be a witness in your neighborhood? Anybody pro-recycling in here to that point? You saw me throw away my jug last night, you would have just been like, shame on you, bad Christian. Others of us, and I say us because I really don't care about recycling. You could judge me if you'd like to. I'm about to, I'm about to step on your toes this morning. This is a sermon about non-judgment, so be careful, okay? <laughs> there are others who go, well, you know, I, I recycle when I can, but if I can't, I'm not going to drive two miles away, use more gas to try to recycle, that kind of thing. End times and eschatology. I mean, there's all kinds of different beliefs around when Christ is coming again and what the end times look like. I could go on and on this list. We could double, triple, quadruple if I just asked you what else. You guys know these kind of things, and you have the temptation to sit in a seat of judgment over these kinds of things. No matter what side you're on, all of us as Christians have the temptation to be judgy Christians against other Christians on these kinds of things. And this is the very thing. I mean, there are relationships that can fracture. There are tensions that can be created. There are arguments that could be had over these kinds of things. And maybe you yourself have experienced this. And this is exactly why Paul is writing to us on this issue. He's saying these kinds of things are emerging. Now, the, verse 3, if you go back to your Bible, verse 3, Paul's trying to make his point to us of what we're to do over these kind of things. And he says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Here's what Paul's saying. Friends, you have to remember this. We are not accepted with Christ because of the things we do and the things we don't do. We are accepted with Christ because of Christ, because of his grace, because of what he has done. And what he's trying to say to us is, hey, be careful. Because all of you have a temptation for a legalistic spirit to remain in your heart. For you to continue to feel that you somehow need to keep God's favor by rules and regulations, by do's and don'ts, rather than resting and receiving and rejoicing in the grace of God toward you. 
that we have favor with God, not on the basis of do's and don'ts, but on the basis of his wonderful, lavish grace. Be careful not to end up in a place where you sit in a seat of judgment, promoting non-essential things and forgetting the most essential thing, which is his welcome of you by grace. Okay? Now, in this passage in particular, he's describing those who he sees are weak, and the weak people are those who he sees as those who haven't fully worked out the gospel of grace into the nooks and crannies of how they relate to others. So, in other words, they, they haven't grown up yet into the gospel. As they relate to others, they're still relating on those issues of behavior rather than on the beauty of grace. And he's saying, he's talking here specifically, helping us understand there are people among you who are still relating to others on the basis of outward behavior and not on the basis of grace. And he calls those people weak. But he says, look, we gotta be careful. He's talking to the weak people. We've gotta be careful not to judge and condemn other Christians on these matters of conscience. Why? A couple of reasons. First, we're all justified by faith. This is verse four. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. Look, God has welcomed us on the basis of his grace toward us. So therefore, you must not, you must not pass judgment on these issues of matters of conscience because that's not how Christ related to you. He has extended you grace. We're made right, not because we all adhere to these same things on these issues of judgment. We're made right with God because he has welcomed us by his grace. So therefore, welcome others on the basis of grace. Secondly, we must not judge or condemn others on the matters of conscience. Why? Because God is the only judge. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. God, in the end, is the only true judge on these issues. So when you wonder, as you look at another Christian, ooh, I'm concerned about that. I don't agree about that. Pray for that person and trust them to the Lord. Third, we must not judge and condemn other Christians on matters of conscience because we should spend our time actually thinking more on our own positions. This is from verse five. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike, but each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. How about you use your energy in a wiser way, Paul's saying. Rather than fighting each other, how about you do some more work to discover, are you doing what you're doing because of tradition or because of conviction? I had a wonderful conversation a few weeks back with Chrysidas and Martha Erla, our partners in India. I keep mentioning India trip because it's a place that's so culturally different than us, even within the church. And we were talking about dating. And he was saying, well, if I sent my son to your church, you mean to tell me you would allow him to go on a date with a girl unsupervised alone? I said, yeah. <laughs> how could you do that, pastor? And we got into this wonderful discussion about how they as Christians protect the purity they believe uh, and protect men and women from temptation and protect them from emotional kind of attachment uh, happening too early, getting into relationships that, that maybe ought not, they ought not to be in and situations they ought not to be in by, by doing what they do culturally. And we got into this long conversation and at the end of the conversation, I was explaining kind of how we do dating and how we do engagement and how we do marriage and he was explaining the same, but by the end of the conversation, we both had listened to each other really well to the point that I can speak for myself and I believe I can speak for him. We both found areas where maybe our cultural traditions from our countries and our church backgrounds maybe have some room to grow a little bit more toward Christ. 
I found better ways to pastor by listening to him, and he found better ways to pastor by listening to me. And together, rather than fighting, we were trying to pursue Christ together. So what Paul's saying is, hey, rather than passing judgment, you see somebody doing something you think Christians shouldn't do or vice versa, how about you spend some time evaluating why is it you feel that way? Work out your own convictions with your own study of Scripture and time with God. It's a better use of time. Fourth and finally, we must not judge and condemn other Christians on matters of conscience. Why? Well, because what we're called to do is to act according to our conscience. We're not called to make decisions for other people. We're called to make decisions for ourselves in the sight of Jesus. And that's what we're to use our time and energy for. Verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. What Paul's saying to us here is, hey, give yourself to make sure that what you're doing, okay, let's say, if you choose to drink a glass of wine, make sure you're doing that, thinking about if Jesus was here today, you'd be doing the same thing. Make sure you're doing that inside of the Lord. And make sure you're doing that for the purpose of knowing him more and making him known more. Make sure you're not doing it just out of frivolousness or selfishness, self-centeredness or out of worldliness. If you're homeschooling or if you're putting your kids in school, if you're showing up at the voting booth or if you're saying, I can't participate in this wicked, crooked American democracy, whatever it is that you're doing, make sure that you're making those decisions out of a conviction in the sight of Jesus. Whatever does not proceed from faith, he'll say in just a moment, is sin. Make sure you're making all of your life's decisions in view of Jesus, in view of the cross, in view of honoring him, in view of giving glory to him, in, in view of living a life of passion and purpose for him. Make sure you're doing it for the Lord, such that whatever proceeds from your life is proceeding, not because of conformity to the world, but because of faith in Christ and his transformative work in you. Does that make sense? That's the basic teaching. So, you've got all four of these there. Now, I, I guarantee you, even before I move on to the next point, there are areas right now that all of us are weak. All of us represent weak Christians in some way or another. We all put ourselves in the seat of judgment too often. There are areas probably where you've had disagreements with other Christians, or even in your heart, a bitter or a judgy spirit. And I just challenge you, out of these things that God has called you to, where, are, where is there room to grow? How can you embrace these practical steps to experience more of his grace in your heart that will lead to more of welcome of others in your life on the basis of grace? Now, verses 9 to 13, Paul kind of reiterates this gospel point. We're not accepted because of do's and don'ts, friends, we are accepted because of Christ, he says in verse nine. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Again, he's pointing your attention. God is the ultimate judge. For as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So we must remember, we're not accepted because of do's and don'ts. We are accepted because of Christ. Therefore, this is the summary point, and we'll move on to the next mark. Therefore, Friends, in your life, make sure that your life embodies a warm welcome of other Christians. An extension of grace. Make sure your life oozes grace 
because that has been the manner of life of Christ towards you. He has given and given and given grace upon grace upon grace into your life. So let's welcome one another on the basis of his grace given. Let's live toward one another with charity, with openness. If Christ has accepted another on the basis of grace, then I can accept them too. Would you agree? I may not agree about every issue under the sun. I may not interpret the Bible in the same way as every other Christian. But if Christ has accepted another on the basis of his grace, then I can accept them into my life too on that same basis. We are to be Christians who are known by grace. That's why we here at ICC, we choose, while we belong to a denomination, we choose not to make our denomination a higher priority than Jesus. In the end, there will not be Baptists and Methodists and Catholics and Presbyterians and all of those things. There will just be one group of people who are redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ who stand around together, around the throne, looking to Jesus. We're not going to be thinking about how did we interpret X, Y, and Z down here on earth. We're going to be thinking about how wonderful is it that we have a Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. All glory and honor and praise to the one who died for me. We're going to be focused on Jesus. And what Paul's trying to say is then if you know that that's coming in the future, then right here and now be careful because you could become tribal and you could become divisive and you could start quarreling and you could let relationships break over these secondary things. Secondary things are not the basis of our welcome of one another. Keep the main thing the main thing and the main thing is Jesus Christ and his love and his grace and his redemption. Praise God. So be Jesus people. Don't be Republican or Democrat people, alcohol or no alcohol people, dancing or no dancing people, or Netflix or no Netflix people. Don't be known by that stuff. It's okay to have convictions. But keep your priority being known as one who loves Jesus and his grace and loves others on the basis of that same grace that he has loved you. Amen? Number seven is extending grace. Mark number eight is making peace. Making peace. And the subpoint of this one is surrendering your rights for the sake of unity. Surrendering your rights for the sake of unity. Now, starting in verse 13, Paul shifts the focus not to the weak who are tempted to get caught up and should I do this, should I not do this, etc., but rather to the strong. And by the strong, I mean those who are pretty sure of where their convictions lie and feel free to live out according to the grace of Jesus Christ. And these words here in this passage are for the strong. He says in verse 13, look at your scripture, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. The most important uh, phrase here in this verse, um, and he's teaching you an ethic here, is essentially like if you know, let's say you, you feel quite certain of on these matters of conscience, what it looks like to live out in faith. Here's the call in your life. You may not be sitting around judging other people on these things. You're out living freely in these things. But here's, there's still a call in your life. Do not put a stumbling block or a hindrance in another person's way. Be careful. Because even as you live in freedom, there is a potential for selfishness that can emerge even in that freedom that Christ has purchased for you given you the opportunity to enjoy. And be, we gotta be careful. Now here's the basic principle. We'll look at it as we go through this passage. While we may be free, we must not use our freedoms 
to serve ourselves, but to serve others. And we do this to love them well, and we do this to encourage the work of Christ in their lives. So while you might be free, (laughs) there's a potential for you in your freedom to actually hurt other people and to hurt the progress of their faith. And so even in your freedoms, God said, give your freedoms to me. Let them be surrendered freedoms. Let them be submitted freedoms. Let them be selfless freedoms. Use your freedoms, not for yourself, but for others. Now we look at verse 14. He says, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it's unclean for everyone who thinks it's unclean. So Paul's going, you know, to be honest, like there's folks who are going, y'all shouldn't eat that food over there. That's been in the temple for idols and stuff like that. And he's going, well, you know, that food looks edible to me. I mean, it's the Lord's food. We can take it. Or there's people who are going, oh, like, remember in the Old Testament, these things in Leviticus were counted as unclean. And he's going, look, Christ has started a new thing here. What Christ calls clean, you don't need to call unclean. So I don't see any problem with that. Paul's saying in verse 14, look, I feel freedom in this area. I feel like I don't have to stay away from these unclean foods. I feel like I know for sure I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus. This is, he's thought about it. He's acting out of conscience and faith. I'm persuaded this is free for me to eat. But there's a higher call in his life to take that freedom that he feels and not to use it for himself, but to use it in concern for others and the work of Christ in their life. Look at verse 15, because he says, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Remember Romans 13? The whole commandment can be summed up in this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So for me, I feel free to have a glass of wine with my dinner, but for you, you are gonna be very bothered by that, just using this as an example. Then for me to have a glass of wine at dinner, while I know that that's gonna really disturb you and hurt you, for us to have dinner together and I'm doing that and you're bothered by it, for me to order that knowing your heart and your conviction and your preference, that would be hurtful to you. So it would be better for me, even though I feel free with that, let's say, to just go, it's not a big deal. Give me a water, give me a Coke. Because to me, it's not about the wine, it's about you because my love for you and concern for you is more important than my freedoms for me. Secondly, he says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Tim Keller has a quote that I thought was wonderful. He says, if Jesus gave his life for them, we can give up our freedoms for them. If Jesus gave his life for them, then we can give our freedoms for them. And by freedoms, namely what I'm speaking to, our freedoms not hurting the work of Christ in their life, it's like, look, there are some people who, let's, let's, let's use the alcohol example. There are some people who feel so totally undone. If, 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 I, if I were to do that in front of them, they would feel so totally undone by that. Or feel pressured. Oh, he, he's, he's doing that. Maybe I should do that too. That, that decision for them, them breaking their conscience and their persuasion in front of the Lord Jesus on that issue, if I'm pressuring them to break that or hurting them in that, then that could lead into a downward spiral in their life where they begin to act against the Lord Jesus and against the spirit-led conscience of God in their life in other areas. And it could end up hurting the work of Christ in their life. And so what his call on the strong is, those who are more mature in faith, who feel that freedom in Christ, is to go, look, let's make sure that we're attentive to other people in our life, that we're thinking about others before ourselves. And that if there's anything that we're doing that could hurt the work of Christ in their life, let's make sure that we just give that up. Because at the end of the day, our priority has to be the things of God and the things of his kingdom.
Our priority has to be God and his kingdom, things that will last. And this is what Paul says in verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's going, look, at the end of the day, it's not about Netflix, friends. It's not about demanding that other people embrace your view of the environment or your view of this Supreme Court decision or your view of homeschooling or your view of whether or not you should wear shoes in church or what your view of whether or not it's okay to moderately drink alcohol or your view of whatever else. He's saying it is not about those things. Let's get over some of the secondary things and let's pursue together things that are eternal things that are deeply wonderful, that are of the Spirit of God. Let's together work toward righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if there's anything that gets in the way of that stuff, just give it up. It's not that big of a deal. It's not a big deal for you to to just give it up. And some of y'all may feel like it's a big deal and that might expose an idol something that to you is more important than Jesus and his kingdom. If there are any things that are more important to you than Jesus and his kingdom, it's a place where you need to repent and you need to ask for God to restore your first love. Jesus and his kingdom should be the most important and others should be more important than yourself. So evaluate how wonderful it is to just feel free Yeah, I have freedom, but I can also use my freedom to just give that up and to serve. What a wonderful thing it is to prioritize other, the most important things as the most important things, the eternal things above the temporal things. Whoever serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men, so let's pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Here is a life verse. I would love for you to circle this verse in your Bible or maybe make a note of it in your notes. Memorize this verse. Memorize this verse such that when you get into conversations or situations where these tensions emerge, let the Holy Spirit of God work with the truth of God that you've memorized in your head. And let the Holy Spirit of God prompt you with his voice, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Let us pursue what makes for peace. That's why I called this mark making peace. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that would cause your brother to stumble. See, the faith that you have is between yourself and God, and blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he proves. Make sure that in your heart you're right before the Lord, because for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. While we may be free, summarize this mark, we must not use our freedoms to serve ourselves but others, to love people well and encourage the work of Christ in our lives. Before I move to the next point, here's what I want to ask you. How are you doing this in your life right now? Are you selfishly or selflessly using the freedoms that you have in Christ? Who are the people in your life right now? What are the stories you could tell about how you are loving others well? how you are encouraging the work of Christ in their lives and some of that encouragement and some of that love has looked like you laying down what you might otherwise could enjoy. Who are those people? What are those stories? Your life should be a life that is marked by making peace, surrendering rights for the sake of unity. Mark number nine. Mark number nine is building up others. 
building up others. And the subpoint of this mark is with all that you have, you're called to find ways to encourage and to bless. I love as Paul gets out of this discussion, he basically tries to give us a new Christian ethic, and it's quite simple if you can get it. It's just one verse, all right? Here it is. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. He goes on and he says in verse two, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And then he points to Christ. And he says, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. In other words, he's saying, hey, I wanna call you to a bigger picture. And the bigger picture for your life is you have been so, so blessed by God. You have incredible blessings that God has poured out on you. But here's the joy of a new life in Jesus Christ. Your blessings have been given to you that you might be a blessing. God has given and given and given to you that you now might find ways to give and to give and to give to others. Remember Jesus, Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. And Paul says in verse five, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in this kind of harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying, look at the way that Jesus lived his life. With all that he had, think about the things you have. You have money. You have influence in different pockets. You have skills. You have gifts. You have relationships. You have opportunities. With all the practical things that God has gifted you with, live a new kind of way. A way that bears resemblance to how Jesus lived for you. Being in the form of the quality of God, Philippians 2, he didn't hold on to that, but he emptied himself. He poured it all out. Why? So that you and your need could have, so that you might have opportunity to be built up. In the same way today, with all that God has poured out into your life, take what he has given to you and turn it around to be a blessing to other people so that together you may live one voice, glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying this is a supernatural gift. This is unity that is not common. It's unity that is based in Jesus Christ according to the gospel of grace and it's unity that abounds in worship. Let your life be lived in that kind of manner such that it's all about grace. Verse seven, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And then he takes time to describe there in this following verses how God sought after the Gentiles. He's speaking to a group of Christians who are very stuck in their Jewish ways. A lot of these arguments come out of that. And he's going, don't you see, he's quoting all these verses from the Old Testament, how God has welcomed people who are not like you. Don't you see that part of what he's doing in your life is to free you up to see that it's not on the basis of all of those external rules and regulations. It's all on the basis of his internal work of grace. He wants you to welcome as he has welcomed you. Be that kind of person, a person that is marked by this kind of mutual upbuilding. I close the sermon today by giving you mark number 10. And we'll talk more about this in coming weeks. But this is the verse that I've been using in our benediction weekly as we've been going through this series. My iPad seems to have just died. Good luck, everybody. Joyful hope. Good thing we're at the end. Robbie, did you do that? Did you plan that? Is it time for me to get down? Um, joyful hope. And it comes from Romans chapter 15, 
verse 13. Some of y'all have already memorized uh, this particular scripture. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Thank y'all for taking over. Would y'all read this with me? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And verse four, if you look at your Bible, it says, these things have been written, written in former days for our instruction so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. He's saying, friends, if there's anything that should mark your life, let it be joyful hope. Let it be a confident expectation. You know the Lord. You know his word. These things are written. They're applicable today. They're centered on Jesus and they're for you. They're meant to lead you to a place that you can have a confident expectation of the things that are come because you trust God and you trust what God has said and you trust that when God said something, he will see it through. There are a lot of us as Christians who are, I really believe you guys, one, one of the ways that you can shine as a light in the world today is in the midst of tensions, brokenness, anxieties, despair, people being down on Memphis, down on the country, down on the economy, down on the presidency, down on the world. We can stand in stark contrast to those who are just down, down, down. Sure, we see things that are broken, but we have a hope in the midst of the brokenness. We know a God who will one day make all things new, and a God who today can make you new if you trust in him too. We can be a people of hope, and hope does not disappoint because of the Holy Spirit that's been poured out into our hearts. We can be a people who have joy and who have peace. Why? Because we believe. And we can be a people by the power of the Holy Spirit that abound in hopefulness. Sure, in this world we have trouble, but we can take heart because he has overcome the world. So these four marks, I pray, I pray these four marks you'll lean into, I pray they will mark your life now and into the future. Number seven, extending grace. Does this mark your life? Are you one who oozes grace, who does not judge on the non-essentials? Number eight, making peace. Are you one who is selfish with your freedom or selfless with your freedom? Are you one who loves others and pursues others' maturity in Christ and you're willing to surrender anything for that end? Number nine, are you one that builds others up? Do you hoard what God has given you for yourself or do you pour it out for the upbuilding of others? Let the love of Jesus toward you so permeate and melt your heart. He who had everything gave it all up for you. So now you and all that you have, let your life be known as one who pours it out for the good of others. And number 10, in the midst of this world's troubles and sorrows, is your life marked by a beaming light of hope? Because you know the one who makes all things new. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray, God, that it would take root in our hearts and lives as we trust in you. Right now, church family, I just encourage you in this time of response just to continue in a posture of prayer. And I would say to you right now, if you are here today and you do not know Jesus, today is the day of salvation. You need a savior. And Jesus loves you and he gave himself for you. And today could be a day that you turn from self and sin and you turn toward Christ 
and you believe upon him and you receive who he is and all that he's done in his life, death, and resurrection, you can trust in him and receive the gift of salvation, which is all grace, just by faith. Today, God can make you new, and I just would encourage you, if you're here today, and you've, you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ to do that. For the rest of us, I just pray that we would be yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit. I believe that in some of these areas, the Holy Spirit is nudging us to, to move toward Jesus. Change starts in our lives when we allow who he is and what he's done to, to change us. We allow his cross and his resurrection, his love and his grace, his work for us to, to just fill our hearts. So today, think on how Jesus has extended grace. Think on how Jesus has made peace. Think on how Jesus has built you up. Think on how Jesus has given you joy and hope. Think on Jesus. Move toward Jesus. Say, Jesus, I want you more. I want to know you more. And I want you to, your love, your presence, your spirit to permeate my heart and my life. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.